Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. He was strikingly handsome. And his eyes were absolutely gorgeous, piercing blue. And um, I'm thankful enough to have those as well. My dad, Mike Stallman, was a colonel in the Marine Corps. He devoted his life to his country. He was a patriot. Everybody says he is the poster boy for the Marine Corps. And he graduated first in his class. He was a backseater in an RF4. Then he went to law school. He was a star there. And then, before getting out of the Marines, because of his commitment to his country, knew he had to serve in Iraq. This was my soulmate. He'd done so much, he was worldly, he was kind. I should have told him not to go. In 2008, my father was found with a gunshot wound to the left temple in his room while he was on tour in Iraq. Authorities concluded that it was a suicide. The military says that my husband committed suicide, but I know it was murder. I just do not believe that he pulled that trigger. All of the evidence that I have and all of the reconstruction I've done point to this being a homicide. I see no evidence of homicide in the materials provided to me whatsoever. The evidence shows there's no way he could have done what they said he did. I think she was viewed as a frenzied, unbalanced widow, unwilling to accept that her husband had taken his life. It was not a suicide. There's no evidence to support anything other than a suicide. 
if this was a suicide, I would have to accept it and move on. But it's hard when you know that that's not what it was. The truth needs to come out. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. You have to be strong as a military wife. For more than 10 years, Kim Stallman has been at war. With a small group of allies, she's targeting the toughest hill in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill. All I've ever done is tell them that I want the truth. She says she's trying to honor the legacy of her husband, Colonel Michael Stallman, one of the highest-ranking American fatalities in the Iraq War. You know, this is a guy that gave us all. Colonel Stallman was a decorated Marine, a flight officer, and a military lawyer. In July 2008, just weeks from going home for R&R, he was found with a gunshot wound to the head on a Ramadi military base. The Armed Forces Medical Examiner ruled it a suicide. But Kim has never believed her husband shot himself. It was not self-inflicted. Absolutely not. Someone shot him. Someone shot him. Mm -hmm. Are you certain of that? I have no doubt. Kim says her ultimate goal is to get that manner of death changed. It's important to have the truth on that document because of the man that Mike was. He was just this all-American guy. Very confident, very decent. Susanna Andrews and Mike Stallman lived on the same block in Chevy Chase, Maryland, as teenagers. My mother still remembers him as the most polite child any of us ever brought home. Decades later, she wrote about his death as a contributing editor for More magazine. I started out wanting to know what had really happened. Mike Stallman, son of a U.S. diplomat, had lived in India, Jordan, and Panama as a boy, before returning home to become one of a few good men. Was there a pride there and a sense of, I, I really want to serve my country? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
He's the one that elected to go to a Marine military academy in the ninth grade. Most of the cadets here have a lot of pride, not only towards the academy, but towards the Marine Corps. As a cadet, Stallman was a Marine recruiter's dream. He appeared in this promotional video. Cadet Major Mike Stallman, senior class president and highest ranking cadet. By April of 1987, Michael Stallman was in flight school in Pensacola, Florida, when he landed in a bar in Florence, South Carolina, and boldly approached a striking woman across the room. And what did you think when you looked at this guy? <sighs> to be honest with you, I didn't think anything, you know. But she admits, something about this swashbuckling young flight officer struck a chord, especially after they ran into each other again the next day at an air show. And he came up to me and said, you remember me? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Stolman offered to show her around, but she says he was quickly distracted by the triplet baby boys of someone she knew. And he stopped and he got down on his knee and he was talking to the, these triplets. And I thought, oh my God, that's someone special right there. And that's what I knew, I knew. In less than three weeks, Kim and Mike's relationship took off. He rode his motorcycle up and that's when he proposed to me. The guy has Hollywood good looks. He's a pilot and he's riding a motorcycle. This is like Top Gun. He sold his motorcycle for my first ring too. He, he was a gem. They married six months later. Two daughters followed, McKenna in 1997 and Piper Piper's first day in 2004. McKenna is 21 now and still remembers her father's kind heart. During Christmas, it was his duty. He was the cameraman. Here comes McKenna. We'd wake up. We're like, don't go in the room until Dad has the camera ready. Did Santa leave a note or anything? That was probably one of the earliest memories I have. Like many military families, the Stolmans moved around the world. South Carolina, California, Japan. This is Okinawa. Where Kim says she co-founded a counseling program on the base. We worked specifically with rape victims and spousal abuse victims. Mike's career was on the move too. By the early 1990s, he traded in his wings for a law degree. Kim says all the work and travel you know, typical military housing. took a toll. We moved every two, sometimes every year. Is it fair to say there was some trouble in the marriage? Oh yeah, we had ups and downs like everybody else. After about 20 years of high-stress military life, Mike Stallman had risen through the ranks to become a full colonel. He was about to retire. But there still was one thing Colonel Stallman wanted to do. He'd never been deployed to a combat zone. He volunteered. This is his last hurrah, you know, he wants to do this. About three months after he arrived in Iraq, something happened to Michael Stallman, something that even a Marine's family could never have expected. My mom sat me down. She was like, something's happened to your father. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. 
you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We would receive incoming every now and then. There would be shots fired. In July 2008, Gary Morrell was a Marine gunnery sergeant in Iraq when he picked up Colonel Michael Stallman at the airport. Good guy? Good guy. Oh, awesome. Outstanding. Colonel Stallman would be stationed at Camp Ramadi. The area had seen some of the fiercest fighting earlier in the war. The front gate is still getting shot at, vehicles getting hit. It's still a rough area. Day-to-day life was tough, but Morell says Stallman, who was working to help rebuild Iraq's legal system, stood strong. Did you ever sense that he was depressed? Oh, never. A triathlete, he was known to work out every morning. He was always such a happy man. I don't ever recall him being upset or sad. I don't remember him crying ever. Did Mike have any history of depression? No. By the summer of 2008, Kim says Mike was looking forward to coming home for R&R to spend time with her and the girls. We were so close. I mean, it was home stretch. In June, he emailed, just two more months until I come home, missing you terribly. And in late July, the day before the shooting, everything is great. Sergeant Morell saw Stallman the night before the shooting. He was anxious to go home. He was ready. In the morning, he wakes up, he goes running. We believe. I was talking to some of the other medics when the call came in. Army medic Dave Fuentes says he was just coming off shift at about 8 a.m. when he responded to a shooting scene. What condition was Colonel Stallman in when you first laid eyes on him? He was in very rough shape. Critical condition? Absolutely 100% critical. It was still the previous night back in Connecticut where Kim and the kids were visiting her parents. At about 11 p.m., she says she found a cryptic email in her inbox, apparently from her husband. The email became central to this case. Kim, sorry about what you are about to find out. I love you and always will. You and the girls are the best thing that ever happened to me. Love, Mike. What did you think? Honestly, I immediately thought one of our close friends had been killed. The next morning, Kim got a devastating phone call. They said, um, we're calling to inform you that your husband, Colonel Michael Ross Stommel, was found this morning with a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his left temple. Her husband was still alive, but unconscious. It was like they took my past, 
my present and my future for me in that one phone call. Kim says she was in shock. To some, that last email to her read like a suicide note. Kim had the email examined by a linguist. She said this is not a suicide note. Sergeant Morell says he doesn't see it as a suicide note either. He says Marines are trained to avoid divulging too much information when writing home from war zones. You got to talk in code. It's something that I could see me sending my wife. And I felt I've sent her that letter before. He says the email could have been a reference to any number of things, including a dangerous or classified military operation or personal finances. All I could think of, his eyes, his beautiful eyes. A few days later, Kim and her daughters arrived at Mike's bedside at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland where he'd been flown for treatment. And I walked in the room, and it didn't even look like him. His face was so swollen. Days turned into weeks with no improvement. Slowly, Michael Stallman was slipping away. After Mike had been in the hospital for about two months, Kim decided to sit 11-year-old McKenna down to say her father would be taken off life support. And she was like, we're not detecting any more brain waves. And that's when I had to lay in bed with him and say goodbye for the last time. I just remember the lights being dimmed and I can still smell the hospital room. <sighs> Colonel Michael Stallman died on October 5th, 2008. The day before his 21st wedding anniversary and the month before his 46th birthday. I've never seen anyone die before. I literally saw his spirit leave his body. His funeral was at Arlington National Cemetery. It was a closed casket. I just was hysterical pretty much the whole day. Adding insult to injury, Kim says she was still troubled by the information authorities had given her, beginning with the detail that Mike, a righty, had been shot on the left side of his head. Mike did nothing with his left hand. As time went on, her skepticism turned to anger and determination to find the truth. You became an investigator. Yeah. Kim said right away, I want to do my own investigation. Writer Susanna Andrews says Colonel Stallman's job easily could have made him a murder target. Mike was in Iraq at a time when we were trying to put the country back on its feet after the war. Colonel Stallman's work notes suggest he was aware of local officials on the take. He wrote, we want to stop IPs, Iraqi police, from taking bribes. And Andrews says some U.S. contractors were corrupt. I think it would be really hard to have not stumbled across some kind of corruption there. Sergeant Morell says Marines were vulnerable everywhere, even on base. You know, our perimeter was very open. He says the security fences were a joke. So you could get on and get off, but... So somebody know, from the outside could just come onto base. Correct. Kim says it's also possible Colonel Stallman had enemies closer than he thought. 
If Mike did not take his own life, who did? Gut instinct is it was somebody Mike knew and close in rank. If you believe it's a homicide, somebody had to pull that trigger. Right. Give me a sense of the banter that was going around. That it was somebody inside. You know, it's strictly all rumors. Menick De Fuentes says he remembers hearing rumors too about a crime at a nearby facility, a crime he heard Michael Stallman may have been investigating. A couple other high-ranking personnel had been relieved of duty due to stealing fuel from post and selling it to the locals. By a year after the shooting, Kim Stallman had decided to go on the offensive. And before long, she had some very influential allies. All of the evidence that I have and all of the reconstruction I've done point to this being a homicide and absolutely not to being a suicide. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. After her husband's death, Kim Stallman was paralyzed by grief. It's like a punch in the stomach. He loved his girls. He wouldn't have left them. She was basically a recluse. She never left the house. And it was really rough seeing her like that. Kim emerged from her fog of grief and began a quest for the facts about her husband's death. In October 2008, she filed a Freedom of Information request with NCIS, which had arrived at the scene some hours after Stallman was found. Kim says she received about 1,500 documents and a small batch of photos. They didn't really show you anything, you know, and, and they were copies of copies, like the photocopies. Scouring the reports, Kim says she learned her husband had been found in bed, lying on his back next to a blood-stained nightstand. A bloodied sheet was hanging from the top bunk, obscuring his body. A Bible and family photo lay next to him. Stallman's 9mm Beretta was on the bed, too. One first responder noted the gun was wedged between him and the mattress. The gun is half under him, around his waist, but pointed down. 
According to NCIS documents, a bullet from his gun traveled through his head, then through this wall, and came to rest on the floor of a storage locker in the housing unit next door. An ear witness had reported hearing a loud noise around sunrise. The information did not satisfy Kim. There were little flags, things that jumped out at me. Believing the suicide determination had been made in haste, Kim says she wanted a closer investigation of the case. In the coming years, she would contact the military, members of Congress, even the White House. I was looking for anything, any, any help I could get. Since the shooting, Kim had been fighting her war alone. But in 2009, she met an important ally, author Scylla McCain. She was grieving, totally grief-stricken, but fighting. McCain has a special interest in mysterious military deaths. She supports the families with a website and advocates for them with lawmakers. I know of 166 families who believe that their uh, loved one was murdered and has been labeled a suicide. Together, Kim and Silas say they took on the U.S. military. Who is this duo, these Southern women, up against this brass wall? You know, all these officers and soldiers and institutions who just didn't take them seriously at all. Before long, word of their war would win them another important ally. This one had a worldwide reputation investigating cases at, of all places, NCIS itself. If it bled, if it blew up, if it caught fire, generally we were involved in handling the forensic issues of that. Over a long career at NCIS, Michael Maloney investigated some of their highest profile cases. He'd left NCIS and was teaching forensics when a student told him about the Stallman case. He offered to take an initial look pro bono, but gave Kim a warning. Almost 100% of the time, the death is exactly what it's reported to be. Maloney wanted better quality photos and thought authorities might have them. So he helped Kim file another Freedom of Information request. There were almost 200 photos on that disc. If I hadn't asked for those, they would have never volunteered them. Maloney says those photos led to a breakthrough. It changed the whole game. Pouring over the new photos, Maloney reached a startling conclusion. This is a homicide. There was someone else in that room. He believes an assailant probably fired two shots. One missed. The other went through Stallman's head. He also believes the scene could then have been made to look like Stallman had been alone and shot himself with his own gun. All I remember is him saying, we've got a problem, this was staged. And when you heard those words? It was like, oh, holy Jesus, I'm right. Michael, what do we have here? Well, what I've done is I've set up a simulation. He set up a simulation for us to help illustrate his theory that the trajectory of the bullet authorities recovered in the locker does not account for Colonel Stallman's injury. Why is the trajectory of the bullet way up here and his injury is here? They should overlap each other because the bullet has to cause the injury. Maloney says the bullet hole in the wall, as seen in this investigator's photo, likely came from the assailant's first shot. For the first shot, he's going to fire and he's going to miss. That explains the hole in the wall. 
He says what he sees around that hole is a telltale sign that the bullet never went through Stallman's head. It has the appearance of gunshot residue. All these little dots. All those this little dots. Burned, burned and unburned particles of gunpowder coming out of the muzzle of the weapon. In his interpretation, those particles would be unlikely to have hit that area of the wall if Colonel Stallman's head had been in the way of the bullet. This is when I began to believe that perhaps this wasn't the shot. This wasn't the fatal shot. The fatal shot, says Maloney, would have been the second one. And as he starts to move, the shooter is going to rock up as well. And right in here, the shooter can fire as well. He believes the bullet may have come to rest in the mattress, though that alleged second bullet has never been found. Maloney thinks he knows why. All of this was destroyed. All of this was burned as a biohazard, yes. Now let's look at that nightstand. The bloody nightstand, says Maloney, supports his theory too, because he says the stains only cover certain areas. But we have none in this area or this area. Leaving unstained sections called voids. There was something blocking the blood from hitting this surface of the nightstand. That something, he says, could have been the assailant's body. Someone sitting on the nightstand facing his bed. And Maloney says there's more evidence Stallman may not have been alone. He says it looks to him like a woman could have been in the room. Well, there was a tampon found on the floor. There was also this dirty strip of fabric nearby. It certainly would have the appearance of a sheer bathrobe tie or something like that. There has been speculation that Mike Stallman perhaps had a girlfriend there. What you proposed is uh, well within the realm of possibility. No. Mm-mm. A one-night stand was simple. No, 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 no. I would have known. I think. But either way, Maloney says the strongest evidence supporting his theory of homicide is that sheet hanging over Stallman's bed. It had blood on both sides. But he says what's most important is a particular type of stain called misting. Look at this misting. The problem is this is on the outside of the sheet. This tells me that this side of the sheet had to be facing or oriented towards his injuries at the time they occurred. He says if the sheet was hanging down during the shooting, as it was found by first responders, these misting stains would have been on the inside. Maloney demonstrated for us. A lot of times when you're over there, you do drop a sheet like this. It blocks the light coming in from the windows. But if you want to talk to someone, you can just pull the sheet back and tuck it up. The blood stains at the scene, he says, strongly suggest the sheet was tucked up, out of the way, when the fatal shot was fired. And it causes the blood stain up here, the blood stain pattern here, the misting stain, and the rest of the blood staining from the exit wound goes down into the pillow and into the mattress. Remember, the mattress was destroyed. How about the sheets and the blood? Everything. Kim Stallman filed a lawsuit in 2013, alleging authorities conducted little or no investigation into various aspects of the scene. They did not follow their own protocols, and that's why this has happened. A federal judge dismissed the case, saying the court had no jurisdiction. So Kim filed again with a military review board. Her lawyer says the board offered no assistance either. 
This required a thorough investigation. It didn't get one. Michael Maloney says he sent his 2011 report to his old employer, NCIS, and says they refused to meet with him about his findings. They declined to give us an on-camera interview, but there is another side to this story. Kim, it turns out the, that NCIS did do a forensic investigation. We have some clips that we would like you to listen to. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Do you believe that NCIS ever did a proper forensic examination of the shooting scene? But 48 Hours submitted our own Freedom of Information request, and we discovered it's not quite that simple. My name is Dr. Mark Reynolds. I'm a forensic consultant, and I investigated the uh, death of Colonel Storman. Dr. Mark Reynolds was brought on by NCIS in 2012 to review the case... Uh, assess the evidence and give us an outcome. ...more than three years after the shooting, including Michael Maloney's report. NCIS gave the veteran homicide investigator and bloodstained pattern expert permission to speak with 48 Hours. Did you have everything you needed? Um, I th the short answer is no. I was uh, quite critical of the response by NCIS uh, in my report about the scene. Reynolds told us he concurs with Michael Maloney that the shooting scene should have been handled differently. A better documentation of the scene and better exhibit collection would have been helpful, um, and it wasn't done. He says that's partly because Colonel Stallman was still alive when he was found, so first responders rightly were focused more on stabilizing him than preserving evidence. But Reynolds disagrees with Maloney on just about everything else. All the scene indicators that Mr Maloney has raised are either equivocal or wrong. Mike Maloney has a great reputation. So we're supposed to believe in this particular case, the man doesn't know what he's talking about? In this particular case, believe the science. And the science is there. Reynolds says Maloney based many of his conclusions on speculation. He says his own analysis of photos of the bloodstains, the nightstand, the sheet, the bullet hole, and the trajectory yielded no evidence anyone else was involved 
in Stallman's death. This is the uh, image that Mr. Maloney used. And Reynolds says the unstained area on the nightstand is too narrow to be meaningful. If Mr. Maloney is suggesting that that, for example, might have been the leg of the attacker, it's three inches. That's a fairly thin leg. And what about that sheet hanging from the bunk above Stallman's bed, the one that Michael Maloney claims has bloodstain misting on the wrong side? Transferred bloodstains look like spatter, even under the microscope. Reynolds says the bloodstains could have been transferred there by first responders. In your opinion, there's nothing conclusive about this blood issue on the sheet? No. And he says the same is true of the gray spots near the bullet hole, which Maloney suspects are gunshot residue. It was never determined. There was no sampling ever done. To go from a, a, a grayish particulate matter on a wall to extrapolate that as being gunshot residue, I think, is a very dangerous leap. Um, it could have been anything on that wall. You don't even go to this potential two-shot scenario. There's no scientific evidence to say two shots were fired. Documents indicate authorities did check the mattress for a bullet and didn't find one. And Mark Reynolds says Michael Maloney made miscalculations in analyzing photos of the scene. He says when those errors are corrected, the path of the bullet that went through the wall does line up with Colonel Stallman's head wound. You get that? That matches. That matches. But what about the curious items on the floor, like that piece of fabric that Maloney feels could have belonged to a woman? Pure speculation. And that tampon? Many soldiers around the world carry tampons in case they get shot because they put the tampon in the bullet hole and it stems the flow of blood. Reynolds' conclusion? There is no obvious scientific evidence to indicate that it was a homicide. We informed Michael Maloney about Mark Reynolds' findings. Maloney insists Reynolds is wrong. I stand by my assertion that the best explanation, given the evidence that I've examined, does not indicate suicide. Two experts, two very different conclusions. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Mark Reynolds? No. Never? No. We wanted to see what Kim Stallman thought of Mark Reynolds' findings. We have some clips from the interview that we did with Mark Reynolds that we would like you to listen to. Okay. Mike Maloney says, at best, this is an ambiguous death scene. My interpretation of this is there's strong contextual and scientific support for it being self-inflicted. There is no contextual or scientific support, in my opinion, for it being a homicide. And the fact that it's on the outside of the sheet when the shooting occurred on the inside is an indication that someone pulled the sheet down. I think he doesn't understand how difficult it is to classify bloodstains on fabrics. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's got his opinion. I, I don't know what to say. Kim says she brought the case to other experts who supported Maloney's findings. And she still stands by Maloney. I know that Maloney broke down that room pixel by pixel. That's all I know. And Kim is furious. She says authorities should have showed her the Reynolds report years ago. Why didn't they show me that? Or tell me? So that I could at least know. I don't understand why NCIS did not bring that to my attention ever. 
Kim says she has never felt authorities have respected her. In fact, in 2012, she says she discovered this email showing someone at NCIS appears to have blamed her for her husband's death. It was a tragic suicide contributed by the pressures he was under to include stress piled on by his wife, who now believes slash pretends it was a storybook marriage. I never said it was a storybook marriage. Never. I have said it was a a marriage with ups and downs. As 48 Hours discovered in his emails, Colonel Michael Stolman may have been battling an enemy within. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. I think they thought they could get away with their mistakes. Kim Stallman has always accused NCIS of not conducting a thorough investigation. But NCIS documents suggest otherwise, that evidence was collected, people were questioned, and many of Kim's concerns were answered. They also provided her with all those photos and thousands of documents, many of which were passed on to us. Among them, emails between Kim and Mike in the final months of his life. Some are loving and upbeat. But there are others that raise troubling questions about Mike and the marriage. Like this one from Kim, sent about two weeks before the shooting. I just can't keep putting myself on a guilt trip anymore and blame myself for our problems. What problems are you talking about in this? We had gotten to the point where we really didn't communicate. And so we were talking about seeing a counselor for that. You went on to say, after that, I can't make any promises because at this point, I feel it is about life and death for me. I can't stay in an unhealthy relationship. Right. Here's the next quote. I know I've done some terrible, hurtful things to you and vice versa. What's the terrible thing? Well, to me, I can't think of a specific thing, but... It sounds like your relationship is almost at the end of the line here. I'm a bit of a drama queen, Um, but it didn't... That's not where it ended. And, And it doesn't show the conversations we had on the phone. 
It's that last email Mike Stallman apparently wrote to his wife not long before the shooting that strikes some as the strongest proof of suicide. Is this, in your opinion, a suicide note? No, clearly not. This man may be Kim Stallman's best hope of getting authorities to listen. Stuart Bowen was the George W. Bush administration's special inspector general for Iraq reconstruction. Kim first contacted him in 2011. He says he reviewed her legal filings and Michael Maloney's report and discussed the report with Maloney extensively. What have you concluded? It was not a suicide. Uh, I believe that he was murdered. Bowen says authorities may have cut corners early on. It might be the case that the rush to judgment led to practices that departed from best practices. Though in 2017, Bowen resigned from a government job in Texas amid unrelated ethics allegations, which he denies, he has become one of Kim's most important supporters. She's committed to the truth about what happened. He and Kim have helped Scylla McCain and others push Congress for a bereaved family's Bill of Rights. McCain says many have nowhere else to turn. There's no court in which they can say, hey, let's hear this fairly with unbiased eyes and ears. It doesn't exist for military families. Recently, another significant step forward. Bowen says he convinced the military's new chief medical examiner to take another look at the official findings in the case. He assured me that he was going to review it closely and, and discuss it widely. Is that a big deal? Oh, God, yeah. Because what can that medical examiner do? Change the death certificate. I have poured over thousands, thousands of documents. After spending about 10 years looking into this case... I have talked to anybody that I could find. Scylla McCain is writing a book about it with Kim. She says in her experience, authorities rarely change their findings. And last summer, NCIS sent us a statement saying, NCIS has thoroughly investigated this case, and we continue to stand by our investigative findings. NCIS's independent expert, Mark Reynolds, insists the science strongly suggests how Colonel Stallman sustained his fatal wound. But Reynolds also surprised us. Do you feel 100% certain that this is a suicide? No. I think that if it was a hidden homicide, it was sophisticated, and it won't be determined forensically. It'll be determined investigatively. Would you be professionally troubled if this case was changed to undetermined? Would I be professionally troubled? No. Can you live with undetermined? That's like saying, eh, it could be this, it could be that. No, I, I may have to live with it. However, I don't want to. I don't think it's fair to my children. You've been described as a woman in denial about all of this. Mm -hmm. You're not in denial? No. No. Far from it, she insists. It would have been easier for me if it had been a suicide. At least I could move on with my freaking life. Kim recently visited her husband's grave at Arlington National Cemetery. She's now thinking of moving his remains closer to home.
A man gave his entire life to his country. And for what? They didn't support him in the end. As for the man they loved, Colonel Stallman's family knows they may never prove how he died, but they will always be proud of how he lived. It's my duty to carry on his legacy and do great things so he'll be proud of me and whatever I end up doing in my life. My father was probably the best man that I have ever met and might ever will meet. A man she still sometimes meets when she closes her eyes at night. All of a sudden there's like a knock on the door and the door opens and it's dad. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, that was just a dream. There's no other man I've ever loved. I know I'll never meet another Mike Stallman. Stuart Bowen says the medical examiner has agreed to meet with him again at the end of April. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.